Mark chapter 6. Last week we talked about this passage, if you remember right, and we were talking about how Jesus faithfully fed the people spiritually long before he ever even fed them physically. How he came on the scene and he wanted to make sure that they were taken care of on the spiritual side more than the physical side at the moment because their hunger spiritually drove them to follow him and run ahead of him and meet him where he was going. Today we're going to look at this passage and we're going to talk about the five loaves and the two fish. You all remember that story from Sunday school, I'm sure. We're going to actually look at that portion today. But many times, you see, God's trying to speak to us about the process of getting to the miracle instead of just the miracle. Many times we want to look at just the miracle and we miss what God's trying to tell us in the process of getting there. And sometimes we do that in our lives, too. We keep praying for God to send a miracle and we miss the whole process He's trying to take us through before we arrive at the miracle, before we arrive at the miraculous, and the things He's trying to plant into us because He'll never bless us beyond what our character can hold because He cares more about our character than our comfort. So in the process of bringing the miraculous about, many times He's trying to bring things into our life to help our character, our structure, and our passion so we're ready for it. If you have your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 34 again. So as he stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. When it was already late, his disciples approached him and said, This place is a wilderness, and it is already late. Send them away so they can go into the surrounding countrysides and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. They said to him, Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? And he asked, How many loaves do you have? Go look. When they found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was filled. Then they picked up twelve baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Remember last week we talked that they just counted the men. They didn't count the women and the children. So honestly, this very well could have been about ten thousand people out in this desolate place, this wilderness, if you will. Um, Tim had a great Bible study that we did a couple weeks ago where it was showing places in Israel and in the Bible region. And we talked about how there was grass in a lot of places. You notice that it calls it a wilderness, a desolate place, but yet there's grass there. That means it was pretty much just a big open area, which many people think of it and they're like, oh man, it must have been like just rocks and sand. No, it was like a big open meadow type place, but it was away from any any little village or town or something like that. So it's called a desolate place. But the people didn't care about being in the town. They wanted to be where Jesus was. They didn't care about being in their comfort zone. They wanted to be where Jesus was. So their spiritual hunger drove them to chase him. We also talked about how Jesus was fulfilling the prayer of Moses from the book of Numbers, where Moses was praying towards the end of his life that God would send a shepherd to take care of his people. 
And it was also fulfilling what God had promised he would do in the book of 2 Samuel when God promised he would be their shepherd. He'd be the one to lead them and to sustain them. So it's fulfilling these two things by meeting the people here. We know that the people need the shepherd to lead them from the spiritual land of slavery to the land of freedom, just as Moses led them from the land of slavery in Egypt to the land of Israel. John the Baptist was leading the people. We know that, right? John had many disciples, so he was actually shepherding the people. Right before this little episode happens, we know John the Baptist was beheaded. If you go back up just a little bit in your Bible there, you can see where the shepherd that was leading the people has been beheaded. So now the people have no one really leading them. And Jesus senses this as he steps off, and he knows that it's his time to really start shepherding the people. So Jesus steps on the scene, teaches them all day long. The hours pass. The people start getting hungry. And the disciples step in. How many times do you love it in the Bible when the disciples step in? Because it makes me feel a lot better about some of the things I do sometimes whenever I go to God. You know, it's like you look back and you're like, why did I bother God with that? Well, you just read the Bible and the disciples bothered him about a lot of different things. So the disciples step in. They have an answer to the problem. They know what needs to happen. So they step in and they say, we'll take care of this, Jesus. Don't worry about it. You just tell them to go somewhere and buy food. Then we're off the hook. Right? We don't have to worry about it anymore. Anytime someone has a problem and we're telling them to leave the presence of Christ to find the answer, there's a bigger problem than the problem they came with. The church should be saying, we don't need to worry about it because Christ is here. He'll take care of it. Instead of saying, don't bother with this. Go find it somewhere else. In our culture today, there's many churches who have bought into humanism, to secular psychology, to many of those things where they totally leave Christ out of the equation to find the answer. Well, I believe in psychiatrists and psychologists and those practices because they are real and they're valid and they're needed. Anytime it totally takes Christ out of the equation, you haven't found the real answer. You might have found something to mask the problem, but not solve the problem. We always need to keep Christ in the center of our answers that we give people. So they say, send the people away. Let them go back to the towns where they can purchase food. The fact that there's so many people and they're so far away from town is a big problem. I mean, these people would probably overwhelm a small village if they came in. 10,000 people all looking for food at the same time. Can you imagine if 10,000 people showed up in North Sioux looking for food? The poor McDonald's here, I wouldn't want to think about the drive through You know, it, it would take a while to get our coffee, wouldn't it, girls? It, it would take us a while. So the problem is big. is is larger than really a normal solution could handle. I mean, they're thinking on a normal scale, just send the people away, they'll go eat. And Jesus, being Jesus, is like, this is bigger than that. You don't realize what's really going on here. So they came, and the people were unprepared. 
they weren't prepared for the journey that they were actually going on to follow Christ. They were so hungry that they chased after him, but they hadn't prepared for what they were chasing. Many times we catch ourselves in that same situation, don't we? We start following Christ and putting our whole self into following Christ. And then we get to a situation and we realize, I didn't prepare for this very well. And we wonder, what are we going to do? What, what's going to take care of this? Because we might spiritually be chasing him with all we have, but physically... We're in that spot, and it's like, I'm hungry. <laughs> I, I, you know, I've pastor's been speaking all morning, and it's 1.30. I'm ready to get something to eat. Don't worry, I don't preach till 1.30. You don't have to worry about that. I'm not quite there yet. I, I, this is my theory, uh, rabbit trail. I'll warn you, it's a rabbit trail. I would rather speak quickly, and you remember what I said, didn't speak for a long time, and then you just remember that I kept you past your lunch. That's just my personal philosophy on it. So, But back to the story. These people were unprepared. They weren't ready to spend all day there listening to Jesus, were they? Except for one. We find one person who brought something with them just to kind of tide them over till they could get back home. And that's probably due to a good mama, honestly, who said, you better take this with you. You see, we show, see God show up supernaturally when the problem is too big for normal solutions to, have, to handle. That's when we really see God step in supernaturally. Many times, like people in the crowd, we have failed to prepare for the journey. And we don't know where it might lead us or how long it might take, so we don't do all the necessary preparations to see it come about. So Jesus, being God, had his own solution to throw back at the disciples when they said, send all the people away from you, Jesus. Make the people get away. Jesus says, if you think that's a solution, why don't you feed them? You, 12, standing right in front of me. Feed them. Wow. Great command from Jesus, isn't it? You feed them. Do you notice the disciples... Start making excuses. Makes me feel better sometimes, right? Or am I the only one? I'm probably the only one that ever makes excuses when Jesus gives me a command sometimes. He's like, you feed them. You see, Jesus can tell them that because Jesus had just sent these guys out earlier and he said, I give you the power to cast out demons, to heal the sick, to do all these supernatural works. I've given you the power. You step up and do it. The disciples weren't ready yet. You see, they had the faith to believe that God could provide for them, even whenever he wasn't right there with them when they went out. Because he said, when you go out in Matthew, when he was given the instructions to go out, he said, don't even take bread with you. Don't take food with you. Don't take anything with you. Just go in my name and do these works. So the disciples had faith that Christ could provide for them. But then this crowd shows up, and Jesus is saying, okay, feed the crowd now. I took care of you. I show you, showed you I could feed you. So you step up now 
and you feed the crowd. I'm making you shepherds like I am. And what did the disciples say? We don't have enough money, Jesus. Right? How many of you know that many times money really isn't the heart of the problem? Our heart is the heart of the problem. Our lack of faith is the heart of the problem. Lord, I can't do that. I mean, really? You want me to minister to this person? I, I barely pay my bills as it is. Our God is a God who supplies for His children. His Word said that He provides seed to the sower. He calls Himself Jehovah Rapha, our healer. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Jehovah Nisi, our victory. He's declared Himself over and over to be everything that we would ever need in and of Himself. And there are times where He walks up to us and He says, You feed the crowd. You provide for their need. You be the contact person. And many times we start pulling out excuses and reasons on why we can't do that. On why in the physical it doesn't make sense. In this situation, honestly, the disciples probably didn't have quite that much money with them. That was give or take about half a year's wages. Is a lot of money. I mean, think about 10,000 people. I hate to pick up that Pizza Hut bill. That'd be quite extensive. Like I know for Convoy of Hope, for the semi-truck of groceries coming in, it's around $15,000 for that semi-truck load. And that's for about 6,000 people. So can you imagine for 10,000 people? So the disciples throw back, we don't have the money for it. We can't do it. So Jesus, once again, being Jesus, steps up to the plate and says, I'll take care of it. You see, the truth of the matter is that no matter if the truth is taught or sought, Christ can and will do the miraculous to confirm his word. He had taught the disciples that he could do the miraculous and confirm his word. These people came and sought him out because they wanted to see him do the miraculous according to his word. Even when we get in the way sometimes, Christ works around us in spite of us to accomplish what his word was set forth to do. You remember he said that his word would never return to him void. It's just he invites us many times to be a part of the miracle instead of, instead of being an obstacle to it, which is what happens. So he tells them, I have fed you, now you feed them. In Matthew, he actually tells his disciples before he sends them out, freely I've Freely you've received, freely give. He's taught his disciples the principle of being part of the miraculous. 
but they missed it. They missed the opportunity because they focused on the physical instead of the spiritual. They focused on on physical sight instead of supernatural insight into what was going on. You know, I've seen both kinds of churches. I've seen churches who freely received and tightly hold. I've been in cathedrals in Europe and some here in the U.S. where the stained glass windows cost more than this entire church building. Where the sanctuary itself with the stone columns and the high arches would swallow many super Walmarts. All to bring glory to God is what they say. While the beggars sit outside their doors just hoping to get enough coins to eat for the day. I've been in other churches like this one where the walls are dented and pieces are broken from use from people being there. And while it may not look like much to people walking in compared to a cathedral, the spirit you find inside is one of peace and joy because they know that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. That the building is a tool and not the end result to bring glory to God. Where people who don't have much give out of their faith to see God do the impossible instead of out of their excess just to build an earthly kingdom. People who grab a hold of this concept of you feed them so they provide what they have, just like the little boy, to see God do the miraculous. I love this question that he asked the disciples, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. Now we believe Jesus is God. Right? Shake your head yes, please. We believe Jesus is God. So being God, don't you think he already knew the answer to this question before he sent the disciples out? I mean, he had a pretty good clue on this, right? Like, oh, that little boy way back in the back over there to the right, I could send you right there, but I'm going to let you guys go walk through the whole crowd and find it. He knew how many loaves were out there. So this wasn't an inventory for his knowledge. It was an inventory for the disciples' knowledge. He wanted them to see what they had that they could use. Many times when God's getting ready to use us for the supernatural, to use us for the miraculous, he's going to ask us to take an inventory to see what we have. To see what we have that we can give. Not just in the physical, but the spiritual. Not just money. What about time? What about energy? Many times he's saying, how many loaves do you have? What do you have that we can use to feed these people? Go and look. He already knows. But it might open our eyes some, huh? I mean, can you imagine the disciples walking through 10,000 people, 5,000 men, and asking, do you have any food that we can share with the crowd? 
and person after person saying, no, I didn't bring anything. Wow. And out of all that, you find one little boy. I have five loaves and two fish, a snack. Woo! Looks like we're eating slim today, guys. Right? Here's a scale for you, and here's a scale for you. And, you know? Here you go. You can have this fin. I mean, really, they got to be walking through there going, this isn't anything. I don't know what we're going to do. I can hear them talking back and forth like, we're going to have to send them away. They're going to have to go. We, this isn't going to work. This, it can't work. But it, he should have listened to me the first time. Now I'm going to have to repeat myself. It's supposed to be God. He should know this stuff. Anybody else had conversations with God like that before? God, you should know this. I shouldn't have to be telling you again. You know this about me. Why, why, why are we doing this, God? This isn't, you can't do anything with this. The inventory is not for him. It's for us. So that way, whenever we look at it, whenever we see the end result that we're waiting to see, that we're all ready to celebrate, we can just realize how much he did with so little. How no matter if we give everything that we brought, like the little boy, he gave everything that he brought. It is a tiny bit. And yet God did something so massive with it. So that way we don't get puffed up in pride. Thinking, I brought everything. I took care of this whole crowd with what I brought. Now I'm sure the disciples, when that little boy gave it up, were probably like, I don't know how this is going to work. And the little boy's probably like, you can have it, but I don't know what's going to come of it. I mean, it's just, maybe Jesus can eat that way. I mean, you know, it talked about they hadn't even been able to eat. So maybe he's thinking, okay, well, at least Jesus can eat. I'll give us what Jesus can eat. So it was all about giving what he had. Isn't it kind of awesome to think of the faith of a child in this situation? Do you remember what Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven? You must have faith like what? A child. You've got to have faith to believe that the absolute ridiculous can happen whenever you give your small things to God. That when you give your little bit, God can do the great things. You know, I love it with my boys. I'll, I'll have like an ache or pain or, you know, one of them will have a little boo-boo or something. And whenever we do our prayer times at night, they'll pray believing that God will take care of whatever it is. It doesn't matter if it's big or small. They've prayed for, you know, our friends and stuff who've had major things go on. They pray just like it's nothing. It's the same to them as have a good night's sleep. It's not any different. 
So whenever we get to be adults, we start quantifying everything, don't we? God, you can take care of this, but uh, that's kind of big. I'm going to have to really, really see if I can pray that. This little boy, he didn't know what it was going to be used for exactly, but he's like, what I have, I give. This little bit I have, you can take and do whatever you need with it. Because to him, it didn't matter. It was going to be in the hands of the master. He knew that it was in good hands whenever he gave it. With God, little can become much. The little boy came with a snack, but it ended up feeding the entire group. How does this apply to us? We should realize that even if our bank account reads $1 or $1 million, we all have something we can give to help those around us in need. The boy offered what he had in faith, trusting that what he would get in return would be worth a whole lot more. He realized that it's not about equal giving, it's about equal sacrifice. We might not all give the same amount, but we all give what we have to see the miraculous take place. I mean, would you think just a second about that little boy? Can you imagine him going home to his mom who fixed the snack? Hey, mom, guess what happened with the five loaves and the two fish you gave me? You ate them. Well, yeah, but so did everybody else. Didn't anybody else come? Mom, there's like 5,000 guys there. What? What? Stop telling stories. Right? Wouldn't that be our initial response? You're a big fibber. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this little boy, we don't have his name, but we're still talking about him 2,000 years later. Because he gave up a snack. A snack. 2,000 years later, we're still talking about him. wonder what would happen if we start giving up some of our snacks to see God do the miraculous. wonder how much the kingdom of God would expand and faith would grow if we start releasing the little that we have so God could make it much to see his kingdom be established here like it never has before. When we are willing to give, God is willing to bless it so others can see just how good of a God he really is. He was using this example once again just to show people that God doesn't care just about their spiritual life, but their physical life as well. It's not just about being fed spiritually, it's about being fed physically. And we see how the disciples once again missed the huge opportunity to be used because they focused on their natural sight. So Jesus gives them another instruction. Like, okay, you guys wouldn't feed them. I asked you to feed them. You wouldn't feed them. So let's try something a little more simple. You go find the bread. You bring it back. Okay, you're good at simple tasks. Let's do something simple again. Can you have the people sit down in groups? 
10,000 people. Can you get them to sit down in groups? So we see the disciples go through and they start sitting down in groups. Many times we read this over really quick and just kind of skim along and, wow, they sat down in groups. Woo! Right? It's not one of the most exciting parts of Scripture, right? It's not. I mean, wow. They were able to get organized. Good for them. But it's very interesting that Mark records that they sat down in groups of 50s and 100s. 50s and 100s. There's another time that we read in Scripture where the Israelites sat down in groups of 10s, 50s, 100s, thousands. At that time, they were waiting on miraculous provision as well. It's when they were in the wilderness. They were counted by tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. They were in groups of fifties and hundreds. Moses prayed that God would send a shepherd. God said, I'll be your shepherd. Moses led the people through the wilderness. Jesus comes on the scene. He's leading people through a spiritual wilderness. The people are hungry, waiting on manna from heaven, which, what is it? Is what manna means. They're in groups of fifties and hundreds. Jesus is teaching them, and they're in groups of fifties and hundreds, waiting once again for bread from heaven to come. Wow, that's amazing to me. I mean, people say that the Bible doesn't make sense, that it's not logical. That's pretty cool to me to see the logic in that just little line right there that they sat in 50s and 100s. Because once again, it's showing that Jesus is the new shepherd. He's the one that's leading them once again. And just like in the Old Testament, when God would provide for them miraculously, He's there to provide for them miraculously now. So he has them sit down, sit down in those groups, and he starts breaking the bread. The thing I love about this is many times we don't like this part in Pentecostal circles. He made sure there was structure before there was supernatural. He made sure the foundation was laid before the supernatural came. Why would God do that? Why do you do that in the Old Testament? Why do you do it here? Why do you tell Noah the exact specifications of an ark? Why did he take so many days to create the earth and everything around and do it in a specific order? Because our God is a God of order. And the reason he does it is this. He wants to make sure everyone can eat until they're filled. If there was no structure, people would have gotten left out. People would have missed their part of the miraculous because it would have been chaos. Can you imagine 10,000 people all hungry trying to get to like maybe 10 baskets of food? Wow. Talk about standing in line. Been crazy. So they set up the structure of the, this, him speaking to the disciples, the disciples speaking to the group leaders, the group leaders speaking to the groups. 
there was a pathway for the miraculous to reach those who needed it. Our God is a God of order. He doesn't send his miraculous just to waste it on a few. He wants it to reach everyone. He longs for us to have the structure in place before he sends the supernatural. It tells us that we must work at building up the structures in our lives, our homes, and our church so that God can do the supernatural in our midst so that everyone can come and eat the bread of life and be filled. Some of the structure you guys will see as we do it here at the church, kind of like the change in service order if you even notice that. Other structures won't impact you guys directly, like we're doing some curriculum now for our kids on Sunday morning that's different. It's a little, little bit different structure. We're going to do some structure to the program on Wednesday nights for the kids. But we're going to do some structure here at the church. But you also need to structure your life so that way you guys have structure for when God's ready to use you for the supernatural. That there's pathways whenever God comes in and just pours his blessings out upon you, you have ways of reaching out and touching others. That you let the supernatural flow to those who need it. I want to look at the provision side really quick before I close the physical realm. These people had been fed spiritually by Christ, but they still had a physical need. It's another example, like I said, of how God cares for the whole person. They came with nothing, but needed something. They came unprepared for what they were going to encounter. Jesus took what was offered freely by a little boy and used it to meet the needs of others. He blessed it, broke it, and gave it to disciples, had them gather up the leftovers. And there were more baskets of leftovers than they had when they started. That, that's interesting to me. Do you remember how many baskets were left over of loaves and fish? Twelve. Right. How many disciples were there that he told to feed them? Twelve. Wait a second. Anybody else find that very peculiar? I mean, Jesus was God, right? Yes. So, in my mind, I'm just thinking, he's breaking this bread and he's breaking this fish. Don't you think he knows when there's enough for everyone there? I mean, don't you think he goes, okay, that's enough to feed everyone here till they're full? And then it's like, hmm. Maybe I need to teach these guys a little bit more. So he starts breaking the bread again. This one's for Matthew. Matthew, the tax collector. Guy's always about money. Thinks money solves everything. 200 denarii. Jeez. Lord, help me with Matthew. So he feels about it. Let's get for Matthew. And then he's thinking, he goes, Lord, this one's for James. James. I need to let James know that, you know, faith is more than, you know, just believing me. It's actually doing something with it. Faith is about taking care of the hungry and the poor. 
And he gets that one filled, and he goes over, and he goes, this one's for Peter. Oh, Lord, Father, help me with Peter. This guy, you're going to have to do something. I'm... And he does one for each disciple, teaching each of them a new lesson. From the little that was given by a boy who had more faith than they did. Many times, we don't want to give what little we have to God because we need the little in our minds. I'm sure the boy's going, I hope I get some of that back. (laughs) I'm hungry too. But his hunger to see Christ do the miraculous was greater than his hunger to hold on to what he had. His hunger to see Christ do something with his little was greater than the hunger he had to hold on to it. He broke each extra basket so the disciples would know that in the midst of the miracle, he was still a personal God thinking of them. So they got the leftovers. Many times in our lives, we see other people getting miracles and the miraculous happening, happening, and we feel like all we get is leftovers. We get to hear the testimony or we get a small thing. And we're like, God, I'm praying for mine. Where's mine? I don't want leftovers. And yet, yet God broke all those pieces and made that basket of leftovers to personally remind you that he's thinking of you. To personally remind you that your miracle is coming. He can provide for you just the same as he provided for the 10,000. He can provide enough for you to be filled and taken care of. Maybe you feel like you're staring at the leftovers of someone else's miracle. The day might seem long. The sun might seem hot. You've been waiting for a long time and you're so hungry for your own miracle to happen. But in the waiting, God has provided you a personal basket full of his word and his life and his spirit to see you through until your time comes. And it will come. You, you just have to keep giving him the little so you can see the much. You just have to keep trusting as you give away your little that he's going to return much. That as you freely give, freely you'll receive because God gives seed to the sower. Like I said, it's not just about money. You know the greatest commodity in America today is not money? Some of you are shocked by that, I'm sure. If you ask people what they value the most, it's time. Time is the greatest commodity in America anymore. 
we become so obsessed with our own personal lives that we get them so jam-packed with everything that we don't have time for anything else. Oh, we have, trust me, people have money to do most of the things they really want to do. They find a way. Ask a teenager who's broke if he wants to go to a concert in a couple weeks that he really wants to go to, and all of a sudden he'll find money somewhere. I've seen it happen many times. Time is the major investment for Americans today, usually. God, what can you do if I only give you five minutes? That's not time for you to do anything. What if you spent that five minutes in prayer for this church or for a missionary couple? What would happen if those 15 extra minutes you have a day you actually dove into his word and totally immersed yourself in his word, that bread of life, and let his spirit speak to you. What if you let it take root and realize the promises in there are really for you? And all of a sudden you start praying for your own healing and it might save you three hours in a doctor's office later. Or am I the only one that gets those type of appointments where you sit there forever and wait? The waiting room. God wants our little so he can do much. God wants you to release your little so that he can make it much. You might be, but God, I only brought a snack. And God's saying that's okay. Because I can use that snack to feed multitudes. Let's pray. God, today I thank you that you're our provider. That God, you are one who looks at the little that we have. Instead of discounting it and sending us away that you welcome it, and you bless it, and you use it to feed others with. God, I ask that this house, this church, would be known for its people giving the little that they have to see your glory made known to so many more. God, we put our trust in you. We put our hope in you. And God, we declare that you are a good shepherd. And that God, you do lead us to green pastures. And you do provide for us and take care of us. God, as we go about this week, this week, um, would you just open our eyes to see those needs around us that we look past every day? The hurting, the broken the hungry. Would you just open our eyes this week so that we can see where maybe our little can make a huge difference for your glory and your kingdom. Give us faith, just like the little boy, 
that's bigger than the disciples that says, even with my little, you're going to do amazing things, God. And we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.